Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Post having the Ben show as I speak. It is Wednesday, June 14th, 2023. One of my favorite people in the universe is on deck to come on and talk to us about various topics of the day. Uh, but before I bring this distinguished guest on, I just want to tell you what's in the news today, uh, like I like to do. So like if you're listening to this a year from now, I go, oh, yeah, that's what was on the news. Uh, so the obvious thing, this is the Trump arraignment in Miami. Yeah, I'm not going to bring that up. OK, no, that's too obvious. Uh, another obvious thing is Chicago Bears are now trying to. <laughs> Man, you guys are shameless, Chicago Bears. They're shaking down Waukegan. It's from the Sun-Times. So they're, you know, Arlington Heights, Naperville, Bay, uh, Chicago, and now Waukegan trying to give us money. Give us money. We're billionaires, but we want money. Nope, I'm not going to do that instead. Yeah, I'm going to go really out of stretch. In the news today, headline in the New York Times in the arts section, Best-selling author delays a new novel she set in Siberia. One of my distinguished guests' favorite authors, Elizabeth Gilbert. Uh, <laughs> my distinguished guest is smiling because if you really want to hear her talk about Elizabeth Gilbert's fav- most famous book. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert is a best-selling author, fabulously successful, and I think immensely talented. Uh, the one novel of hers I read, I've only read one novel of hers called City of Girls. I just I couldn't stop reading it. Uh, she's best known for E Pray Love, which I could not get through the first five pages, confession time. Uh, but her latest novel, which I was looking forward to because I loved City of Girls so much, uh, is set in Russia. It's called The Snow Forest, and it takes place uh, in the 30s. The novel follows members of a Russian family who have removed themselves from society in the 30s to try to resist the Soviet government. So, again, one more time the setting is Russia, Siberia. In the 1930s, dealing with the struggles of a of family in the Soviet Union dealing with the Soviet government. 
It has nothing to do with modern-day Russia. It has nothing to do with Putin. It has nothing to do with the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. It is merely set in the country of Russia. There has been so much pressure applied to uh, Elizabeth Gilbert about her setting that she felt compelled to pull the book delay publication of the book and to apologize to uh, who you Ukrainian readers. I'm like, I, I, I'm a understand being sympathetic to the Ukrainian people who are under siege from Russia, the Russian forces of Putin in insane war. But, but I don't know pulling the novel, delaying the publication of the novel because of the setting again it has nothing to do with putin modern day russia ukraine the invasion of ukraine nothing to do with any of that in so many ways people i do believe we've lost our minds it's, i know this is a small thing to isolate with all the utter madness in the world like just to pick one example the russian invasion of ukraine utter madness, people getting killed, slaughtered for no reason at all. No compelling reason, that's for certain. But I don't know. This is like mini madness. You know, I just, I don't buy it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, the world is crazy. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself, and then I'm going to ask her to weigh in on this, get her thoughts on it. Distinguished guest, take it away. Hey, I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm a member of the Sun-Times editorial board and also a columnist with the paper. Yes, and I rebroadcast today, uh, Ramana, our interview you did about, and we, I called it self-haters, and it's just blowing up. Uh, so that's uh, a lot of, that was a very compelling conversation we had. I urge everybody, if you haven't heard it already, go back and listen. Self-haters, uh, Romana went on some riffs that were a lot of fun and enlightening to listen to. All right, Romana, uh, I teasingly said you were a fan of uh, Elizabeth Gilbert because I know you're. <laughs> I don't think you've ever read anything she wrote. Uh, no, but, I'm. I'm sure she's a great author. I, I admit, I. I'm just. Uh, we do um, a lot of Indian people make fun of her because of her book Eat, Pray, Love. And what it represents, because I think the so I was just doing a really. I mean, we just saw like snippets of the movie and just like clips of the movie, and she's trying to find herself in India, which is such a cliche of um, people who are not Indian going to India to do. It's like they can't find themselves in their own country, so they have to go to India and ashram and start praying, and then all of a sudden, like you know, a light bulb goes off in their head. Um, so there are everybody in India or at least um, Indian Americans always laugh at that trope. So um, I just remember seeing <laughs> seeing that and we've always seen people like that in India. So I'm sure she's a fine author. That book does not seem to appeal to me at all. I'm talking about E. Pray Love. But um, like I said, I'm sure I can't make judgment because I didn't read the book. I'm just saying I'm basing it on what I've read about it. and so. I'm an unfair critique critiquer here, but I do think that it's totally wrong for her to feel like she needs to delay the book because it's set in Russia. 
I mean, we're just talking about India right now. And uh, there's a lot of atrocities going on in India. So are you not going to write a book that's set in India? There are a lot of atrocities that happen in our own country. Um, are you not going to write about, you know, places where people are discriminated against still to this day? Or where, you know, are you not going to write about the United States and slavery? So I think, I think, I think, I think people are being overly sensitive and not to gloss over what's happening in, in Ukraine right now, in the Ukraine right now, because it's terrible. But to say that it's offensive because she's basing her novel in Russia, like many years from the 1930s, I think, I think that's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't delay my publication, but if she's feeling pressure, I guess that's what she's going to have to do. So I'm assuming she doesn't have to worry about money after all the success of Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, um, yeah. No, the, yeah. the, yeah, I don't think money is an issue here. Uh, yeah, but I, I, I just think, I just think that doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like, why are you, why, where's the offense? It's not like she's writing a publication or an opinion piece about why Russia is correct right now and in, in what's happening in the region over there. So I don't understand, like, what are some of the critiques she's getting like that it's just insensitive at this time for her to do this? Yeah, it's considered uh, offensive. Listen, I, I'm not privy to the backroom conversations of Elizabeth Gilbert uh, and her publishers and her agents and the promoters, et cetera, and so forth. Um, but having read the New York Times account of what's going on, my sense of it is is that she is facing what uh, like a counterattack or an attack. Uh, and this we I've seen this, Ramana. I think you and I have talked about it. We saw it with movies um, when they came out with uh, the remake with the all woman cast of um, I'll forget the name of the movie I just blanked on it. it's an 80s movie you probably saw it a million times with the Bill Murray and the Marshmallow and whatever the hell of the movie it was I can't believe Ghostbusters it. yes thank you uh, there was an assault a really twisted weird assault against that movie by men who thought there was something uh, politically correct, offensively politically correct to them about redoing it with women. And they really took it to an extreme with Leslie Jones. I mean, the, the, the amount of abuse Leslie Jones was subjected to was god-awful. Uh, so there's these premature assaults on a movie by people who are convinced that for some reason they will hate the movie or they hate what the movie in their mind represents or is symbolic of, and they'll use whatever tools they have to undercut the movie, to sabotage it. And usually that means going up on online reviewers and then giving it a bad review. So there's, I, th my guess is I read about how there's already an attempt by people to give it a bad review that they said, okay, let's pull, let's hold off until things subside, and then we'll bring it out uh, because it will hurt book sales to have a bad review. Which, which like, who looks at bad? This is just me speaking, Romana, but like, I'm sorry. I don't read Yelp and I don't read the reviews because I'm not dependent on Billy Bob or Sally Sue in uh, Oshkosh, Wisconsin to tell me if I like a movie. I'll listen to you, I'll listen to Roper, I'll read, you know what I mean? I'll. 
I'm like, who even reads Yelp or any of these things? It's, it's just like, don't get me started. So I, that's my guess of what's going on. Your thoughts. Yeah, I sometimes read reviews. I go on Yelp, I admit, but I don't really take it that seriously. Like I look through it really quick and then I look to see what the bad reviewers are saying. And usually, usually they're people who are really, really nitpicky. They're like, oh, the server didn't say hi to me or something like that. You know what I mean? Like there are some people who are just total Karens when they go out and, you know, when they that are really horrible to service people. And so I do sometimes look at Yelp just to see what the general consensus is. Like if I go to a restaurant and and it's like 10,000 reviews and only one star, you know, I might be like, okay, why? And then I'll kind of read it, but I don't take them that seriously because usually restaurant recommendations I go because um, it's someone that I know went there and they told me it was really good. Like you said, you take the recommendations of people that you're close with or people who are your friends um, you know, when Tank Noodle, when the owners of Tank Noodle turned out to be at the cap, you know, January 6th Capitol riots, um, a lot of people went on Yelp and started giving them bad reviews because before they're really like people were like raving about them. So, I mean, people go on to Yelp for different reasons. And, you know, sometimes it's just like, oh, I just want to give this person a bad review. When Miss Marvel came out, this is the, um, show about the young Pakistani American superhero came out. There are people who are racist and they're like, we're just going to give it a bad review. This includes like people from India who hate Pakistan so much that they have to like say that this is a terrible show. And so it did, that did help, you know, the, I guess the overall ratings online go down, but it, it got a lot of good reviews from critics. So yeah, you can just take that with a grain of salt. I don't take it that seriously. I'm not like on Yelp for like 20, not even for more than, I'm probably looking at Yelp for like maybe two minutes. Sometimes if it's a book that everybody else is raving about, I just go online really quick and see Goodreads and see what some people have to say. But in general, like when it comes to reviews for books and restaurants, I'm probably online for like two minutes max. I'm not like going into like a rabbit hole and studying every single thing so i don't know i just think that it's just crazy i'm assuming it's more people who are liberal who are have a problem with the with the setting of of russia or is it just kind of like people from all political stripes i just think it's insane because there's a lot of a lot of countries in this world including ours i have problems you know what i mean And, and 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 you know what is problematic to somebody might not you know, I'm not saying what's happening in um, the Ukraine is not problematic. It definitely is. But there are a lot of places and a lot of things that we do as well. So it's like, are you not going to write any or have a setting in any country anymore? It's just, it's just kind of crazy. Yeah, I don't think it. Uh, the uh, opposition falls into the conventional uh, camps of liberal or conservative or MAGA or Democrat Uh from my read of, I've read actually now about three articles on this. Uh, it's one of these pet obsessions that have emerged for me for today. I guess when you're not looking at Yelp, that's what you're doing right now. Yes. <laughs> uh, don't get me started on Yelp. Uh, yeah, what a scam. Anyway, I, um, uh, so it, it seems as though it's, um, it's well, her apology goes to you, my, uh, Ukrainian readers. 
Uh, quote, I have received an enormous massive outpouring of reactions and responses from my Ukrainian readers, Gilbert said in a video posted on Instagram, expressing anger, sorrow, disappointment, and pain about the fact that I would choose to release a book into the world right now, any book, no matter what the subject of it is, that is set in Russia. It is not the time for this book to be published, and I do not want to add any harm to a group of people who have already experienced and are continuing to experience grievous and extreme harm, end of quote. So I don't think it's conventional, liberal, conservative uh, dichotomy like we're so used to in this country. Um, so I, I think it's a peculiar, just it, it's a more directed, uh, and it's an apology to Ukrainian people. I, you know, I, the the whole movement in our country regarding banning books right now, I find it very curious. So I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Uh, because MAGA proclaims itself people who believe in liberty. Uh, one of the leading MAGA groups in the country right now, gaining a lot of traction, is a group called Moms for Liberty. I'm not making this up, Romana. Uh, and Moms for Liberty is dedicated to, among other things, taking away liberty from librarians and teachers in public schools telling what they can't teach, what books they can't read. Uh, I tend to be very tolerant when it comes to book collections. But, Ramana, I must confess, even I am reluctant to proclaim certain books, uh, to recommend certain books, and I'll tell you why. I worry. Like if <laughs> some of the books that I read, I worry that if moms were really found out that they were Chicago public library, they would lead uh, an opposition to the Chicago public library. I feel as though I am reacting in my own way uh, to the censors efforts of groups like Moms for Liberty and uh, Ron DeSantis and his followers. And that's where we're at right now. It's like knee-jerk responses and reactions, librarians in the middle of it. And I have such a profound love for libraries and librarians that I just quietly go about, read my books. I'll maybe recommend them on my um, reader newsletter. I do recommend them on my reader newsletter, but I don't make a big deal about some of the books I read because I I'm worried. You know what? In the hands of MAGA, this could turn into a crusade against my beloved Chicago library. I don't know your thoughts about this. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I just think it's a, a lot of the um, book banning, you know, hoopla I've seen. It's, it's kind of based on lies. I mean, there's definitely like material that's inappropriate for like two to five year olds. I, I, I mean, I agree. There's certain things, but What's happening in a lot of book ban, uh, book ban discussions and when a lot of individuals come to library meetings, including the library where I grew up in Lincolnwood, there was this whole campaign where people were spreading misinformation about what books were available for three to five-year-olds. And they were just like, they had graphic pictures and nudity. And I was just like, there's no way that a library is going to put that book on the shelf. And, you know, it turned out that, you know, all these parents showed up at, at this meeting and it, that book wasn't even on the list of library. And so they use it to, and then they use it to like, you know, spread more misinformation. So I think a lot of it is based on misinformation and about what books, you know, are being given to really, really young children. 
that's what I've, I've seen. And um, I don't know, I think people are discussing a lot of um, a lot of book bans, a lot of lists are going around um, about, you know, what particular books I have a colleague at work who's actually reading all all, all the bo- some books that are on the book ban list just to see what the hoopla is and just to, you know, kind of see what is out there. But I don't know. I just think a lot of it, a lot of it is misinformation as far as I can tell. And yeah, there's going to be people are, that are going to be offended by certain books. And like I said, there are some books that are probably inappropriate for certain age groups, but those aren't the books that are being you know, they're, they're, it's, it's, they're mislead this group of people, including moms are misleading a lot of people about what is out there. And I think it's getting a lot of parents like worried and frustrated and, um, there's, and, and, and just, it's just causing more problems in this country. And I don't remember, like, I'm trying to think like when I was in school, I remember like Mark Twain's books, like Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer, maybe those are the books that were in question because of the use of the N-word. Like, those were some of the controversies that I remember. But nobody really banned them. There was just a question of, like, you know, whether that, you know, reading it is, like, harmful or not. And and those were the kind of questions that were brought up. But there wasn't this full-on book banning proposal that, you know, is in place right now. And I'm sure there are a lot of things that a lot of parents at that time probably found a bit objectionable too, but there wasn't this whole like groundswell that we're seeing right now. And it's, it's, it's just, and you know, a lot of people are saying, Oh, well now kids are being exposed to like more explicit books than they were. And I don't think that's true. I, I, I don't, I don't think that's true at all. I just think there's a lot of misinformation. So I don't know. And a lot of these people who are like complaining, do they even go to the library? Do they even read books? That's, that's just half of, Half of the half of the half of what I, I I think I I don't even think that many people go to the library first of all right like I mean it's not like libraries are packed like l- libraries aren't packed full of people like coming out of them or anything like that so it's just, it's it's just an interesting the, time this this, in this is the fear of mine about libraries and we'll move on to another topic in a little bit I just have to say this because you went on that riff. Every time we elect a new mayor in the city of Chicago, uh, I'm always a little... See, Daly was the mayor for how many years? 25 years. Uh, And Daly professed a love for books. Uh, And I wrote a lot of columns in the 90s taking issue uh, with the Chicago Public Library decisions they were making. Uh, I did quite a few of those. Uh, But basically, Daly supported the idea, the concept of libraries. So I was like, okay, we're pretty safe with daily. You know, he's not going to be closing libraries. He may, not, he, he may not be adequately funding them so they can buy all the books they need, but he's not closing them. Then we got Rom. And Rom was horrible. to li- Rom didn't get libraries. You know, Rom was a Winnetka kid. Uh, like, if he wanted a book, I guess he got it from Barnes & Noble. It just never occurred to him, you know, like anybody would use a library in his first budget, he proposed to close the libraries. And to his utter amazement, Romana, there was a rebellion from the people, the only people he ever really cared about, white people on the North Side. And they were like, I take my child to the library. You're going to cut the library? And he pulled back. Oh, white people on the North Side complaining? That's my, my base. So I'm going to pull back. 
I, but Rob, after that, I was always scared. Then Lori, I'm like, oh, no, is she going to pull a Rom? Is she going to start closing? I'm tough. I'm going to cut budgets. But she was married to a librarian, so I'm pretty safe. So, you know, I, I got feeling Brandon Johnson coming from the Chicago Teachers Union is not going to cut libraries. But there are, you know, there has been a shortage of librarians. Um, I, I remember um, editing a story not too long ago where they were talking about, it was about the Chicago Public Schools and, you know, maybe they have, we still have a lot of robust public library system, but in, at the schools, there's no full-time librarian. In a lot of schools, there's no full-time librarians anymore, which is, which is sad in itself. You know, I mean, I know we all joked when we were younger and laughed at the librarians in our school, but, um, you know, they don't have full-time librarians in a, in a lot of schools anymore. So, I, I think that's sad. I do think it's sad because I, I, I have to tell you that I did like going to the library as a kid. I probably go to the library less than I I did as a child, but I still love going to the library. And um, uh, now it's like I do use my Chicago Public Library card to get books on my Kindle. <laughs> and I know that's, and I prefer actually reading books um, like a hard copy book, but sometimes I do use my, I, I, I use my Kindle because it's like if, if a book's really popular and I can't get it or I'm too lazy to buy it or um, Mick doesn't have it, I usually get it on my Kindle, but I am still using my library, but I did, I did find it fun going to the library as a kid and I did use my school library. So I, I do think it's sad that you know, the library programs or there's not a full-time library in a lot of schools. I got to tell you, people are using libraries and I, this, I'll give you this example before we move on to the next topic. Uh, so I, uh, I get, I'll read the, the, the New York times book review section on a Sunday, see a whole bunch of books I want to get. I start ordering from the library, uh, the, put my order into the Chicago public library. Uh, I have to wait there's 70 people ahead of me. You know what I mean? On the waiting list to use the library. Finally, I get my book. I go get my book. I make a point of getting it back on time so that the next person, I turn that book in and it, and the little piece of paper spits out, meaning there's another person waiting. Uh, it's a joke I do with the librarians. I go, so let's see if anybody's waiting for this thing. Dip, dip, dip. So uh, God bless you, Chicagoans. I give you such a hard fight time you make some of the stupid decisions i've ever met when it comes to electing mayors but there's a subterranean core of you who love libraries and god bless every single one of you uh, and you kept mayor rom from closing them so i love you for that all right uh need to get your thoughts about this we've been talking about trump 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 uh on the show a lot we will uh, continue to talk about trump 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 uh, his arraignment yesterday uh, went down on tuesday in uh, miami uh, for his charge of <laughs> holding on to doc classified documents he should have relinquished uh, after the government subpoenaed him for them. Um, you covered 26 and Cal for years. When I met you, I was actually met you in a courtroom uh, many years ago. You were covering a trial. Romana, this dude, if he was not President Trump and stole these documents, would be in prison right now without bail, his passport taken from him. This judge and the prosecutors bent over backwards. Trump doesn't have to relinquish his passport, doesn't have to post bond, doesn't have to report to jail, is allowed to talk with other, his co-defendant. He's a 
well, they, you go, the judge said, well, judge, Walter not Walt not is his name, the valet who was helping Trump. Uh, Trump said, I, he's my valet. I got to talk to him. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can talk to him, but just don't talk about the trial. Uh, come on. Is this how people get treated at 26 and Cal? Go ahead. Well, each case is different, I have to tell you. But yeah, I mean, I think if Trump was not the former president, um, I think that he would have at least had his passport taken. I mean, this is someone who has access to private planes. He could fly away to Russia if he wanted to really quickly. This isn't someone this isn't someone that um, doesn't have the means to leave. Um, a lot of times, you know, there are people at 26 and Cal, they won't involve their passports, uh, you know, when it comes to this. Um, I guess I could see the no bond or I mean, sorry, the no jail or, you know, not being held in custody just because, I mean, I don't know, this could be, this is questionable, especially in, in light of the E. Jean Carroll um, trial. He doesn't really have like an extensive criminal record, but... I would think that the judge would look at all the <laughs> criminal accusations that are, have been filed against Donald Trump, all the pending uh, cases against Donald Trump, that there would be some sort of like, you know, bail situation where he would be held in custody unless he posted a certain amount or something like that. Well, he did get, he did, did he get bond? He didn't get any sort no. of bail. No, right? So, um, yeah. And, and then, you know, afterward, he celebrated with, um, Cuban Americans who were supporters of his, yes. you know, at a because today's his birthday, by the way. Oh, happy birthday, Donnie! Yeah, uh, no bail. And by the way, this is ironic. We talked a lot about this, the no bail movement here in the in Illinois. The law was passed, and Darren Bailey and the MAGAites uh, used that every which way they could against uh, Governor Pritzker. There'll be criminals running rampaging through the streets if we take away uh, bail. They, they try to scare uh, Democrats into voting Republican. It didn't work. Almost worked in the mayoral race. A heck of a job, like front liberals. Uh, but uh, it did not work in the governor's race. Uh, and yet, <laughs> guess who gets let out without bail? Donald. And I just, the hypocrisy of MAGA, just sometimes very hard for me to take, Ramon. I don't know about you, but, you know, the crusade against bail, well, they always talk about law and order, and that's one of the things um, a lot of people have noticed through the years. They're always talking about law and order, law and order, and everybody needs to follow the law. But then when it comes to someone who's sympathetic to their cause or someone who identifies as Republican or Republican leader, then all that goes out the door. Like, we see that example with Kyle Rittenhouse. Like, you know, they're always talking about violence, and, you know, it's a sim it's the same thing with gun violence in Chicago. Like, you know, they're always talking about gun violence in Chicago, but that the minute, you know, there's someone like Kyle Rittenhouse that's accused of, you know, the same crime someone in Chicago is, then they go on to, you know, elevate this person and, you know, work towards having that person not serve any time in jail or prison. So it's, it's just part of the hypocrisy that goes with the right wing these days. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's a little hard for me to take, I got to admit. All right. Uh, by the way, yeah. No, it, you said he went to a, a restaurant uh, in Miami, a Cuban restaurant, restaurant. He also took his co-defendant with him. It's like so wild. You're like, not even supposed to be talking to each other. The guy, it's he drove the guy. 
Yeah. yeah that, that, I'm joking. Yeah. The, no, I know. The, that's how that's how much they're bending over backwards for Donald Trump. Uh, Walt Nada, he drove can't he him. Get, can't he? Yeah, can't he get another valet? I mean, you would think that with you know the resources he has, he can just get another valet. I mean, that's not that hard to do. The valet can get another job driving someone else around. You know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's it's. It, I would think the judge would just say like, "Well, you can't have any contact." With your valet, find a new valet. That's not that. That's not a big ask. I, I would say. I would hope the judge would say, "We live in the state of Florida, which is still waging the war on drugs against black people, and there are probably thousands of people in jail right now because they can't post bond uh, on little trumped up, no pun intended, or reefer charges." Uh, and so, you know what? If they're stuck in jail, you're going to jail too. If that you're big law and order MAGA man, and this is what you believe for. Uh, you know, some poor black guy who got busted for reefer, you're going to jail too. Uh, but I don't think MAGA sees it that way. All right. I really want to get to uh, Romano's recommendations and talk about um, uh, a movie called She Said. And uh, I finally saw this movie. And uh, you had seen it a long time ago. So I finally caught up with you. I, it's streaming. I want to say I'm prime. And this is the movie uh, about two enterprising New York Times investigative reporters, uh, Megan Tui and Jody Cantor, uh, who did uh, the investigation to Harvey Weinstein and uh, put together the case against him. And one thing led to another, and he ended up, uh, he's in prison right now. Um, I, I thought it was a really captivating movie. I urge everybody to watch it. Uh, but I would love to get you to talk to you. First of all, tell us what you thought about the movie. But then let's get into the depiction of journalists. And you've been in the business for quite a while now. Uh, and I, I have watched reporter movies going for as long as I can remember. And the change in journalism uh it's, I think it's chronicled in the movies. You follow what I'm saying? From like the 40s, rough and tough guys, you know, smoking cigarettes, mostly men, uh, and to where we are right now in journalism. It's like quiet in the newsroom, man. Nobody talks. <laughs> well. Go ahead. I don't know. I think there's, well, there's, I was talking to you a little bit about this before. I think, okay, so on one hand, like they have, I, I, I think um, in general, pop culture gets journalists, journalism wrong, journalists. I mean, with this movie, it was closer to the way the actors in Spotlight were, but a little more serious than the actors in Spotlight were. I thought Spotlight was a great film, and I really like She Said, um, because the Harvey Weinstein case was something that I was following pretty extensively. Um and just the Me Too movement, just as a woman, it was something that I was also following closely and still pay attention to um, just the way that, you know, Hollywood's supposed to be this like, you know, liberal business and these women are, you know, being treated so terribly. And it's, it's something that's been accepted for so long. Um, and especially someone like Harvey Weinstein, who was elevated for such a long time and just, just just the scope of the problem. It was, it's, it's a very compelling movie, but yeah, I think, well, they made, they, and there are, I have to say that there are journalists kind of like that. <laughs> some of them do fit exactly what some journalists are kind of like, like they're kind of 
Like that's all they eat and breathe and think about. Um, <laughs> and, and they're just like not good dressers. And I say this as I'm wearing sweatpants and I'm sopping wet hair, but, um, I, I, I think, I think, I think some of it's a little like too, like, you know, they, I remember the actors in spotlight were complaining about the wardrobes because, you know, there's <laughs> this whole article, I think in the Boston globe about, how they went out of their way to make the journalists, the print journalists, really bad dressers. And yeah, there are bad dressers in print journalism. I will, I will say that, but it's not like everybody is. And yeah, and they make everybody seem like nobody talks about anything except journalism. And yeah, I know there's journalists totally like that, but most of my conversations, I mean, I'm, one of the things like not working in a newsroom, now when I go into a newsroom, people haven't seen each other for a while. So my conversations with people end up being like an hour long. Um, and, and usually we're not talking about journalism. I mean, sometimes we'll touch upon what we're covering, but then we'll go off on a tangent and start talking about something that's completely not related to any of the stories that we're doing of the day. Um, I just bumped into Tim Novak, um, the investigative reporter at Navy Pier. He comes in five days a week and he, we talked, he talked to me for about like half an hour about the history of Navy Pier. Cause we're just talking about Navy Pier and, Neither of us were doing a story at Navy Pier. And so we're just, <laughs> I was just telling him how, like, as a kid, I never really thought, like, Navy... I remember driving by Navy Pier with my family and never really going there. And never it never became a thing until I got a little older. Then he starts telling me about Navy Pier and how these have concerts and Chicago Fest. And and so I'm just saying, like, yeah, they make, they make us a little too serious. And I know there's journalists who are serious, but nobody's that serious. Nobody's that dour and serious but the subject matter was very serious and i thought i thought the movie overall was good and i i do like um really good journalism movies when they do i i'd rather have journalists depicted like that as opposed to like you know when they show journalists like especially female journalists who are just like morally challenged and you know they just sleep with their sources <laughs> you know that's like that's another extreme and you know i i'm sure you saw that what was that show with kevin spacey I'm God. I'm forgetting. With um, remember the journalist? Like oh, he pushes uh, her in front of yeah, the train. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Giving it, giving it away. Um, he pushes her in front of the train. Uh, yeah, I forget them. Oh, was, yeah, she I had an affair with him. To God, why am I, I don't know why I'm forgetting. It's like it's based on a British. I mean, at this point, it doesn't matter. Kevin Spacey was fired from the show because of also a Me Too allegation. You know, Me Too allegations, and uh, so I thought, I thought, I thought overall it was, it was a good movie. And I, I probably, I bumped into Megan Tui like a couple times because this is a former Tribune reporter um, when I was covering 26 and Cal. But, um, you know, kudos to those two reporters and, and uh, Woody Allen's son <laughs> on, on their reporting because he was also um, Ronan Farrow. Um, yeah, I, you don't think he's his son anymore than I do. Well, right? I was going to um, say, suppose, yeah, I don't want to be a jerk and say supposed son because he does look more like Frank Sinatra than Woody Allen. But yeah, so it is. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I don't know. But he, he did a lot of the reporting too. And I think it was um, important. So I, I did like the movie overall. But what did you think about the depiction of the journalist? Like, what's your opinion? couple things before we get because i'm about to go on a riff number one the name of the tv show i looked it up house of cards oh yeah house of cards, uh yeah. that was the name of the kevin uh, spacey uh number two a navy pier no joke before you were born or no you were a little kid i saw some great concerts cool in the gang at navy pier 
was one of the greatest concerts I ever saw. I'm getting a little teary-eyed thinking about it after dancing. Uh, could you imagine, like, 19-year-old me uh, and Stevie Wonder at um, uh, Navy Pier? So, yeah, they a shout-out to Tim Novak for knowing that. Uh, there were some great concerts back in the day. Yeah, he was telling me about his great concerts that oh, he yeah. saw there, too. Yeah, it was back so. in the day. All right, now, going up, uh, I, I tell you what, man, I was just... I, I was like, okay, so ladies and gentlemen, as, as, as uh, Romano was saying, there's two women, Jody Cantor uh, and Megan Tui, and as Romano likes to point out, Megan uh, Tui is a graduate of Evanston High School. All the great ones went to Evanston High School. Uh, and um, and those who, uh, the second great ones went to Niles West. Uh, and um, God, I can't even get a smile out of my, uh, Romano on that one. Uh so it's a great story of of how uh, Mer- Merrick Garland Merrick Garland went to <laughs> Merrick Garland Merrick Garland went to Alabama. I knew you would come back We're talking Merrick about Garland. Trump. I'm just saying. Uh, and uh, yes, Merrick Garland. <laughs> that's the that's latest. That's the latest Lincoln Water now the uh, bread. And uh, Rashid Mendenhall, great running back uh, for the University of Illinois. Anyway, so um, so it's really a great story about how they put together all all the obstacles they had to clear to get this story about this powerful man who used all his influence to uh, obstruct them and keep them from getting at the truth or to intimidate the New York Times uh, into uh, dropping the story. All that's really compelling. But the depiction of the journalists is so different. And I, and I think it shows some changes in the industry than the depiction of the journalists in the quintessential journalism movie of my day back in the 70s, 1975, uh, All the President's Men. You had two men, two dashing Hollywood actors, uh, Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman playing. Is Dustin Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman's not really dashing. Well, in that movie, he's kind of dashing. He's like, uh, he's, they're, they're like, nothing stops them they have no outside life but the the pursuit of the story they go all night they uh they wake up uh and start all over again they don't worry about what they're dressed they have no responsibilities all that matters is the story and their editors are a bunch of men who who are drinking and giving them advice this is life kid this is how you get a story fast forward to she said it's two women both dealing with the pressures of a job and a family, both dealing totally with, true. You know, having a little kid, daycare, and then there's the husbands who are, play the worthless roles. Like these are the most worthless roles in movies. It's like the the nerdy husband or the nerdy wife who is just a drag to the always complaining. Oh, she goes, I gotta go cover the story about this like perverted megalomania Hollywood producer. Oh, who's going to do the diapers, huh, honey? I'm stuck with the baby again. I'm like, God damn, dude. You're, this just got an important journey here. You know, stop complaining. Well, well I have to tell you, at least, at least they give them lines. Usually when it's a support, <laughs> you know, usually when it's a woman who is just the girlfriend or the wife, all she does is sit there in a corner and just nod her head and like laugh at every single joke the husband or boyfriend says and doesn't complain. So, at least they have the whiny men there. So, you know, at least the men get to be no, whiny. No, there are, there are whiny women in plenty of movies. I thought you were going to go into Quentin Tarantino country. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, no. I mean, I can, go, I, can go, I can go on a riff about female characters and when they're just sitting there just to tell the, the male character. just they're, they're just there to, like, 
you know, be there for no reason. Yeah. You know, they have no personalities. They're usually one dimensional. But yeah, I guess it's good. I'm glad that the men were kind of one dimensional and nerdy in this one. So totally it's fine. One dimensional and not like always complaining. And I'm like, dude, your wife's about to uncover the most incredible story. Go take Damn. care of her diapers. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't one of them? Ha- one of them was a journalist too, right? Like I thought, like one of yeah, the husbands was uh, was a journalist boy, I too. Which one? You know? I think. I think it was like. I think he was supposed to be just, just as. Yeah, but I did like. The, I did like that part that they showed him. Like, yeah, they were kind of all consumed with the story, but they were trying to do like other things and trying to handle you know, the situation with their fa- own families and trying to, you know, and it kind of was realistic because a lot of that stuff does fall on the women or people expect women to do all that work. So that is realistic for their husbands to be sit there and be whiny, expect them to change the diapers. Oh when my they actually God. have something uh, to do. I mean, like, come on, man, just, it's okay. Hang out with the kid. I'd rather hang out with the kid than do most of the work anyway. All right. Now here's something I else. I would too. Uh, I yeah, much rather hang out with the kid and watch TV than I don't know, run around after Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> so you won't get a Pulitzer for watching Barney with your son or daughter. All right, now uh, here's a question I have for you. It, the depiction has to do with the depiction of the editors. Now you've been on both sides. I've only been on the one side. I've only been a writer, and I've never been an editor. Um, Man, these New York Times editors, I can't believe they're anyway like that in the real world. They're like so sensitive. Oh, what's your problem? Let me listen. Oh, I'm with you. Take more time if you need it. I've never had an editor like that. They're all (laughs) back in the day. Grumpy, grouchy. Where's that story? What's that story? You make a mistake, they make a federal case out of it. These are my old editors. I think I think, edi- I think editors ahead. I think editors have I think editors have gotten more sensitive through the years. I think they were a little more gruff before. I've kind of seen the changes. Like I've always I mean because because I had been a reporter, I was on the desk for about 4 years and I just had been a reporter. I was actually very sensitive to the reporters needs. So I was kind of nice to the reporters in general, <laughs> but I know that like I think being like a jerk was like, we've talked about this being a jerk was valued in journalism for so long, especially at the beginning in the middle of my career. Like everybody would laugh at the guy who'd swear at people and like, and, and, you know, I I thought it was a little weird because I, I I don't know, I don't think that's normal, you know? And, uh, you know, I think, I think the editors who are now gruff and a little more demanding, I don't think they're that, well liked or like people don't want to go up to them anymore or deal with them. So it, it, it could be possible that they had sensitive editors. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes editors aren't that sensitive because they're trying to put a paper out. So sometimes I do, I do sympathize with editors who are trying to like, you know, just move the paper along and they're <laughs> getting, you know, somebody's breathing down their neck to get the story, you know, uh, you know, the production people are waiting for the story to get. So I kind of understand both points of views, but yeah, I don't, I don't get, I mean, I don't think being a, a jerk, like a, you know, and that's what was depe- depicted before too, right? The editors would be jerks or yeah. like just sitting there screaming at their, at the, at their um, underlings. So I think, yeah. I think that might be, might be true, but there's always, there's still jerks at every single line of work, right? Everybody has like, jerks that everybody's like telling them to avoid and, and and that's true in newsrooms today too so we're not completely devoid of jerks but it could be possible that they're 
you know, they, cause they had a one female editor who was sympathetic to them. And then Andre Brower played someone that was pretty, you know, had their backs as well. Yeah. So no, the other, Brower, all three yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, all three of the editors. Oh, whatever yeah, you say. Maybe, maybe that was oh. maybe that's like a pipe dream a little. I've but, never um, seen any editors like, oh, whatever you say. Oh, take more time. Oh, be more with your child. Yeah, I really yeah. understand. That, that, like, is, oh. that is true. And also like giving them that much time and and three editors. I was gonna say that's a lot <laughs> yeah, of editors. editors. These days these days there's there's only one like editor dealing with like twenty stories, not just one story so i i i, th- I thought yeah it's a they have to kind of embellish some of that oh stuff my God, so other people can that, watch it where their people aren't totally horrified by our working conditions <laughs> and here's the other thing you talk about trump getting a break uh down with his arraignment or whatever you want mr trump you want to y'all keep your passport you want to hang out with your code of thin go ahead hang on. You, you talk about that how about the breaks the new york times gave harvey weinstein good god like here we got a story you want to comment? Your deadline to comment is 10. No. It's like they kept extending the deadline. Then they go, like, he goes, all right, I need to see it in writing and I need two weeks. Two weeks? What the? What? And they're like, well, he could sue. Well, let him sue. It turns out that it would not have been a good idea for him to sue. You know, I just, the rich, powerful people, Romana, think about it. How much bet? How much the whole everybody bends over to appease them and accommodate them? I found that one of the most uh, annoying things in the movie. Actually, I, I guess that was true. They gave him, all, remember, and they let him come into the newsroom with his entourage to answer their charges. Yeah, it was similar to the way they showed Michael Jordan in the Air because you never saw the face of the actor playing him. It was just kind of like you just saw the back of Harvey Weinstein and. Um, yeah, you heard it. I, I guess in I guess in that situation, because the person is so powerful and they have so much money, people probably wonder, like, you know, and and, and news organizations are probably extra sensitive to like what legal guns they can bring to the table if anything happens. So I don't know. I don't I think two weeks is a little too generous myself. I would think maybe two days max. I think in that situation, you're like, okay, get your legal team together, whatever statement you want to put out. But two weeks, I, I do think is a little too generous. I, I'll tell you what, to go back to 26 and Cal. There is no one at 26 and Cal who's getting no, two days. No. You got, here's, you got 10 minutes. You don't have, get back to me now. And then, then, they don't even know the rules of the game, like off the record, on the record, you know, everything you say. Well, you didn't tell me it was off the record. Have you ever had reporters do that? Like, you didn't tell me. Well, the guy didn't know. Jeez, give him a break. God. Uh, anyway, uh, but having said all that, I loved it. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I urge everyone to watch it. Uh, any recommendation? You got Air. You recommend that one? Yeah, I did like it. I thought it was entertaining. Um, I... I was a child of the eighties. So definitely a lot of that stuff was pretty funny and it ha- had to do with um, Michael Jordan. I thought a lot of, I-, I always wondered like some of the dialogue, I was just like, okay, like Matt Damon and Jason Bateman and Ben Affleck are talking about being middle-aged white guys. I'm like, nobody, nobody talked like that in the eighties and having a seat at the table. I was like, nobody <laughs> talked like that and you know some yeah. of the things some of the things i'm like okay do they really like sit there and go well michael you know michael jordan's mom talks about you know they have her talking about viola davis is talking about um 
you know, what Michael Jordan is going to do. And, you know, of course she's saying everything that Michael Jordan did win. And it's like, okay, nobody, nobody was saying all that stuff, but I, I, I thought it was entertaining. The eighties, like fashion, we're just talking about, you know, fashion, the you know journal, today's journalists. But I thought the eighties fashion was kind of funny and made you laugh. The soundtrack was good. Um, and you know, I took it, I took it, you know, for what it was, it was entertaining. And, you know, Michael Jordan's a big deal in Chicago and big deal in the country and all over the world. So it was kind of cool to see that. Um, and I didn't know about, you know, I know Jordans were a big deal because my brother had a pair. I remember when he, I think he was an eight or nine, he had the fourth generation shoe is like a big deal for him. He was so happy when he got him, he kissed him. You know, it's just like, I, I just remember Jordans being such a big deal and, you know, and it just, it just brought up a lot of memories. So I thought it was fun. And I finally finished beef and Ted Lasso. I don't know if you started that, but, um, that I finished that and it was pretty good. I know people complained about this season, but I, I still thought it started off a little weak, but it ended up pretty good. Um, I want to see, there's a lot of couple things I want to see. So past lives is a movie I want to see. And I started the show. I just started was never have I ever, which is the fourth season. I don't know. Just started that. And, um, and Spider Verse, Mick will kill me if I don't mention that. But I don't know if you saw the Spider Verse movies. Like the first one came out maybe two years ago, and this one is just a sequel. And they're just—I don't even like superhero movies, but these two animated films are really creative. Um, and the latest one has an Indian Spider-Man in it, um, and there's jokes that are particular to the Indian diaspora. So I thought. That was, it was pretty funny. If you watch, if you watch the Spider-Verse movies, watch the first one and then watch the second one. But it, it's a pretty cool treat. It's a pretty cool, it's like, it's, it's very visually um, interesting and very creative. And the one uh, show that both of us have seen and both of us love, uh, Jury Duty, which. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, I, I've been, I've been telling my, I was telling Mick about it and he's just like, that sounds dumb. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, well. You don't have to watch it. I'm watching it by myself. And I, I zipped through it. I thought it was hilarious. I thought James Marsden did an awesome job. And the guy, who I, I think it worked. And I saw someone on social media say, I think it worked because this guy was such a nice guy. So uh, anybody listening to this jury duties, um, basically a bunch of improv, mostly improv actors and actor James Marsden who plays himself. But they're all pretending that they're doing a documentary on being on a jury. And there's one unsuspecting guy who actually thinks he's on a jury. And I just thought the actors were really funny. And it was, um, it was really funny. I told, I told my friends who are um, lawyers and I told my friends um, who have ever been on a jury to watch it. And so far, um, the one friend who was on a jury and she tried to get out of it because I was covering 26th and Cal. And she's like, well, I have a friend who works at 26th and Cal and she covers it she ended up getting picked to be on this jury. So like, so she, she thought it was really funny. I think, I think it's, it's hilarious. It's on, it's on Amazon prime and it's a really quick watch. I think it's, it's definitely worth watching. Yeah. And uh, shout out to Rashida Sheeds who plays Nikki. Uh, and she's from Chicago. Nikki's the Is bailiff. She? Yes. She's oh, comedian. I didn't know that. Uh, she's great. And, she was so funny. Yeah, she's great. A uh, little plug. She will be on stage with my daughter, my youngest daughter. Oh. A comedy show in LA. Yeah. So oh, that's awesome. That. Yeah, it is awesome. Uh, and um, so I love that show. I, I'm, I'm with Romana 100%. I urge everybody to uh, check it out. Jury duty. It made me laugh like crazy. 
Uh, we'll hold off on beef. I think you could do like when we did a half hour on, uh, she said, I think beef is provocative and worthy of a deep dive uh, because what it's saying about where we are in America right now. Uh, and uh, so I think we'll hold off on, and do it justice. Uh, Roberto, I'll let you get back to the editorial that you're writing. Thank you so much. Uh, as always, it's always a blast talking to you. Thank you for having me again. All right. That's a great Ramana Hussein. I'm Ben Jarowski. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.